Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Today, I again have co-host Stephen Feldman with me, and we're doing kind of a special episode today talking about mapping the coronavirus. But first, let's catch up on, on what we've been up to. Stephen. How's life? What are you up to? Well, apart from the fact that everywhere is gradually closing down because of fear of coronavirus, I'm pretty good, Ed. Health-wise, fine. London is still plodding on. Tubes are absolutely ram-packed, so meetings are going on. Nothing seems to have come to a stop yet, but we'll maybe talk about that in a little bit. I did have some fun last week wrestling with um, SSL certificate, and I just wanted to give a shout out for anybody who needs to use SSL to the Let's Encrypt service, which is a free service generating SSL certificates. Use that with something called Zero SSL, and I'll put the links in the show notes with you. It's a really great service. I generated six SSL certificates for various websites in just under 40 minutes. No charge at all. So it's a great service for people running their own websites who want that. The other thing that I've been doing recently is, you know, I mentor CEOs as part of my consulting business. And I had a week where I had two breaks, which was really great for the people that I'm working with. You know, one of them was a really simple thing about tracking some key stats on a weekly basis and just taking 10, 15 minutes at the end of the week to pull up your key stat, you know, some order intake figures, maybe some billing figures, and just look back on the week and digest how you've done in the week. And the other one was introducing a new CEO to the concept of the value proposition canvas, which is a great tool if you're trying to work out how your product fits in different markets or understand what your customers need. And I'd recommend that to anybody who is in product management, product design, and in fact, CEOs running small businesses who just want to have a single service that they want to align better with their customers. So I've had a good week. Well, congrats. Actually, that, that topic of mentoring, I know you do that with quite a few startups, but also geo startups. So maybe that's something we should go deeper on in uh, in its own episode in the future. With pleasure. Probably with be pleasure. interesting. So what have you been up to? Well, it has not been the most productive week because we've had my, my sister-in-law visiting. So we've been doing some touristy stuff. This is this is one of the big risks of life in Barcelona is that a lot of people like to come visit, which is great. <laughs> but you end up playing host and doing all the touristy stuff and and it's great but as a result at some point you look up and you're like what have i done for the last six months you know i can't you know just always hang out out at the beach but it has been a lot of fun all not least because we've had great weather here the spring is sprung so it's been nice well as you say it's a bit of paradox in that the the weather is so nice spring is here spring is in the air and meanwhile of course we have all the bad news about the virus and events being canceled and and actually I'm kind of pondering what, what is the implication of this for Geomob obviously Geomob's you know, a, a relatively small event and I don't think many people are traveling you know across international borders to come to Geomob but but still, you know, is it should we be canceling Geomob should we not is that an overreaction not sure. 
I'm not sure either. I mean, I think uh, certainly at the moment, London seems to be carrying on as normal. But, you know, every day we're becoming more and more aware of how serious this this virus is. And you can see things, you, you can expect things will close down. You know, we're a couple of weeks out from Geomob. And the good thing for us is that we could make a decision 24 or 48 hours in advance. Yeah, well, you can. I actually do travel to London for Geomob. Right. But, um, I guess we, for the benefit of our listeners, we're, we're recording today on the 5th of March. Yeah. And the next London Geomob is on the 18th. And then we have one the, the week after that on the 26th in Munich, which I was also planning on attending. Right. And actually, I would, I would be heartbroken if I couldn't make it, A, because I'm speaking, but B, you know, for the last year, Geomob Munich has been running quite successfully. And for whatever reason, it's always been a, a conflict in my schedule and I haven't been able to attend. And this was the first one I was finally going to go to. So I'm really hopeful I'm still able to. So. Well, let's just keep our fingers crossed. It's uh, difficult to predict day to day what's going to be happening. But perhaps that takes us on to the topic that we thought we'd chat about this, this morning, which is the way people are mapping the coronavirus. Shall I start by just mentioning... Yeah, why don't you briefly um, mention Ken's article, okay. which kind of triggered this whole discussion. Okay. And I think the first thing we should do is say that... Actually, there's you and me talking about this, and it would be a heck of a lot better if one of us had thought to uh, schedule a call with Ken and we'd got Ken on to talk about this. And maybe in a few weeks' time when things are settled down, we can get Ken on and he can talk about mapping viruses and mapping elections and things like that, because he's got lots of interesting stuff to say. But with that in mind, I'll paraphrase what Ken was say for those of our listeners who don't know Ken Field is a cartographer he works at Esri he's written what is considered by many to be the topic leading definitive book on cartography yeah he's a world renowned cartographer and he cares passionately about making good maps and what's happened is that with the outbreak of coronavirus the media have been publishing some of the most horrible maps that you can imagine on the subject. And every mistake that a first-year cartography student would have learned how to avoid, these guys are making. And Ken started off, he wrote a series, a fairly long thread on Twitter about the subject, and then he went on to write a blog post, which the link will be in the show notes. You search for mapping coronavirus responsibly, you'll probably find it very quickly. And basically, what he's saying is you know, that if you're going to map this, and I, keep, I want to keep saying if you're going to map this, because I think we should have a conversation, Ed, about whether you should map coronavirus. But if you are going to... Yeah, that was my first question. Well, let's take that at the end, if that's okay. If you're going to map it, Ken suggests there are some basic rules that you should follow. The first is you should not use the Mercator web map projection to map coronavirus. You should use one of the equal area projections that gives you a more balanced view of the size of different countries because one of the problems when you start making a chloropath map where you 
shade the map to different colors depending on the intensity of the variable is that visually the big countries always dominate the small countries and the second rule that Ken suggests is which it's so obvious that it's astounding that people don't do this automatically is you should normalize the values that you're mapping and in this case we're talking about incidents of coronavirus or deaths from coronavirus and if you take a country as big as china which has got a population of nearly two billion i think and you've got three thousand deaths right if three thousand is a massively bigger number than any other number on the map and it's spread across two million people on a massive geographic area, you get this big, typically red blob where China is, which is totally misleading. So what you should yeah. be doing is mapping incidents or death, incidents per 100,000 or per million of the population. And you should be mapping deaths either as proportion of the population or as a proportion of the incidents you know but either way what you need to do is normalize the data so that the distortions of large populations and small populations are eliminated from the evidence from the map that you're presenting i think a lot of this advice though is not necessarily specific to coronavirus no. i mean it's specific to any type of mapping actually uh, by coincidence, my wife is actually an epidemiologist, mm -hmm. although she doesn't work on infectious disease. But, you know, she she will always complain about how, you know, various complex scientific topics are misunderstood and misrepresented. And, yeah, as you say, like, you know, the numbers are not taken in context in terms of to the to the proportion of the population and things like that. I mean, this comes up time and time again. Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. You know, and I mean, Ken's not saying anything that he hasn't said, and I've given talks on this subject and said the same things, and he's written a book about it. It's just that coronavirus has generated this enormous amount of media, and with, uh, with it, a colossal number of maps. And, um, and actually, that's a good point to actually talk about why do we think there are so many maps of coronavirus at the moment? Well, I think this gets to the point of whether a map even makes sense or not. And we're talking about this a bit before, but you know, the purpose of a map is you look at it and you you gain understanding about, and you gain a certainty about something. So, you know, where where is the stuff? Who owns it? How am I going to get from A to B or whatever? And, you know, what we see with coronavirus is the way people move nowadays with airplanes and trains and stuff, you know, it, it, it's not as if it purely just spreads geographically. Like, you know, one day it's all in China and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a huge explosion in Italy, which is obviously on the other side of the world. So, you know, I think people are using maps, news organizations are using maps because people want to have certainty about this uncertain situation. But I'm not sure it's the right tool in that regard, in that it doesn't adequately represent the way people are moving, the flows of, 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 of humans and thus, and thus of also of the virus. I think that's very true. And I think if we look back to the beginning of coronavirus, we had, and it will be interesting if somebody collects a timeline of maps. 
so that we can look at the maps from the beginning of this, this incident and the maps that have appeared later on. Because in the beginning, I, if I recall correctly, we were seeing maps where basically there were big red dots or whatever in the center of China, in Huawei province. Yeah. Right? And if you were sitting in London or Barcelona like we were, you're looking at that and you're thinking, that's a long way away. And as long as not too many people get on a plane from China, we should be okay. And I think what we've seen is obviously, as you said, people, you know, people have got on planes, people have traveled, the virus has spread. And I agree with you that I don't think the map is actually telling us very much. You know, there's probably, I think there's 70 countries in the world now today that have got coronavirus. Seeing those countries lit up in some way with small dots and big dots doesn't really do anything to, well, I mean, to inform is, or to reassure. This is going to be like, yeah, it's going to be like that cartoon. Yeah, I forget the exact phrasing, but, but basically the, po the point of the cartoon is just that with something that's proportional across the population, event eventually you just end up with a map of population density. Correct. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it's not going to, you know, especially something like the virus, which seems to be quite infectious and spreading quite rapidly. You know, basically, it's just going to be like, oh, more people in big cities have the virus than out in the country. Yeah, obviously, yeah. pretty <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what are, what are, what are we learning from that? Yeah, so. and I so I think you know there is a real case for saying that the maps are not helping at all, and if they if they give a false sense of certainty in any regard, whether it's a certainty that is negative or positive, I'm not sure they're helping. And if, and I actually recall that at the end of his article, Ken asked the question whether we should be mapping this at all and suggested that a bar chart might be a better way of representing the data. Hmm. Yeah. You know, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think this raises some interesting issues in general about how... How can news organizations, um, which obviously in, in recent years have been under massive kind of financial strain as the old models, old business models fall away, and so and also new methods of spreading of information via social media, you know, social media posts can literally go viral, as the as term is. You know, there's huge potential for inexperienced people to, but well-intended people to to make representations of data that then spread wildly but but convey wrong information or or uh, you know lead to panic and and the question is what should organizations do about this well um, or, or news services well i mean I, I don't think training everyone to be an expert cartographer is necessarily going to be the solution or, or that's not a realistic solution. it's not a realistic yeah i don't think it's unreasonable to expect a large media organization to employ some experienced cartographers. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think that, that, that is true. But the BBC, for example, we had a talk in London at one of the longitude events from the BBC cartography team. And it was a really good talk and it was really interesting. And they work under enormous pressure, you know, because they're working to newsroom deadlines to get stuff produced. And they do some amazing work, but they've also produced some of the the most diabolic maps of this coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and they do employ people who are relatively skilled. They may be more GIS people than, 
than they are cartographers, but they do employ relatively skilled people. At OpenCage, one of our customers is a service based in Germany, but available in multiple languages called Data Wrapper. Mm -hmm. And uh, specifically, it's a tool for news organizations to build infographics, be it one subset of that being maps, but also charts and things like that. And I think maybe that's the solution is that you have kind of best of class tools that help guide you to, you know, you kind of, you know, I don't know how you do this from a usability perspective, but you come into the tool and say, okay, I want to represent this thing and here's the data I have. And maybe it guides you to like, you know, in, in this situation, this type of representation would be appropriate. This one would not. And here are these things to look out for. And, you know, should you be, you know, make sure your, you know, maybe raw numbers are not appropriate and said you should base it on as a percentage of the population, things like that. And I think it helps push you towards the best practices. And I haven't used them for, so I'm speaking at a slight distance, but I do believe actually that some of Ezra's tools do go some way down the line to doing that, you know, suggesting the, the right color palettes and, yeah. and stuff. Because, I mean, one of, one of the biggest problems is making a map using the default settings. Sure. You know, and, um, and I think another problem that we've got, which may surprise you, is we've made it so bloody easy to make a map. It's true. It's true. Well, this issue of the default settings, I mean, this is something that comes up with every tool, right? Who is the audience? Is it the advanced user? Like, you know, Esri is targeted more at advanced Mm -hmm. users with kind of a GIS background. Or is it, you know, data wrapper, that's what's good about their services, targeted specifically at journalists who perhaps don't have, you know, full geographic uh, GIS training or anything like that. And you know, probably, as you say, they're working under a very tight deadline and they need to just get something out quickly because, you know, if you're not the first one on social media, then someone else is. And, and not only that, I, did. I think also well, if you're talking about the online media, you know, so the BBC website, the Guardian website, whatever, typically one of your objectives is to get people to spend as long as possible on your site. You know, in, if you're the Guardian, for example, you want them to click on your advertising, you know, because that's part of their business model. And a map with lots of detail on it causes you to st- spend more time on the site, doesn't it? Yeah, although I, I'm going to hope you know, maybe maybe I'm too good natured, but I, I, as a reader of the Guardian, I don't I don't think they're trying to make, intentionally make the infographics confusing as a way to get me to spend more time on the site. Okay, I, all right, I, I, I'll know. I'll back away from that one. I think you're probably right. Forget I said that. Let's talk. About, well, I did this whole thing. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to just, you know, Ken set out some some guidelines for how you could make a reasonably responsible map of the virus, but. In parallel, last week, I saw a cartogram on Twitter. Do you know what a cartogram is? Yes, I do, but maybe you should, should explain okay. it for the... I'm going to give you just a quote on what a cartogram is. Cartograms offer a way of accounting for differences in population distribution by modifying the geography. In other words, they stretch the geography to adjust for population differences. And so big countries, big populations, regardless of their geographic size, get expanded. So England, for example, which is a pretty dense country, gets expanded. South America would get shrunk and things like that. Mm. But you end up with these almost, I don't know whether they're like a dot. If Salvador Dali 
was drawing maps, you think they might look a bit like this. Yeah, they're kind of t twisted and pulled and stretched exactly. and, and other places are shrunk. Yeah. And I looked at this thing and I thought, what on earth is that showing anybody? You know, even somebody like you or me who understands what a cartogram is doing is going to struggle to get any understanding from this thing. The only thing I can tell you is that China becomes a big ball on the right-hand side of the, the map. And I asked this question on Twitter and got back loads of feedback. You know, I said, what does a cartogram add in terms of insight compared with a normalized thematic map or even a bar chart? And strangely enough, Ken came back at me and said, why does it have to add something? It's just a different way of normalizing. The shape is normalized well. rather than the data. But my view is that cartograms don't work for the general public. You know, and going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, you were saying we can't expect everybody to be a cartographic expert. Mm. You have to be more than a cartographic expert to glance at a cartogram and extract much information from it. And one of the reasons I think that there's such a problem is that they distort the shapes to such a great degree. And my opinion, and it's not just my opinion, I found a bit of science to back it up, is that we have, we have a sort of visual memory of the shapes of the countries of the world. And most of us mm. know roughly what the world map looks like and where countries are on that world map. And we can adjust that, you know, when we see a Mercator projection or a Peter's projection or some other projection, you know, which slightly changes the shape, we can, we can cope with that. But when you distort the shapes to the extent that, that the cartogram does, yeah. where it's adjusting the shapes of the countries for the population, I think you come up with something that is unreadable by most people. Well, a lot to unpack there, Stephen. So, first of all, I'm shocked to hear that you think there might be information of no particular value on flowing about on a social media <laughs> channel. Couldn't okay. So, but second of all, no, I think this gets to the the crux of what it means to work in geo now is that we have so many different ways of doing things and tools and services. It it becomes much more about always knowing what is the right tool for the job, right? Right, and when to employ tool A and when to employ tool B and when to do nothing. And the problem is, of course, if you're you know if if all you have is the hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And if you say, well, you know, I really want to make a cartogram, fine. You know, you can uh, you can you can do it. Whether it adds any value is a different question. And I, I guess when it when it's a topic now like the coronavirus, of course, then it gets into is there a do you have a burden of responsibility to not spread misinformation and spread panic and things like that. So, but really, I think I see this is the core of what the industry is now. It's it's about knowing what the tools are and what the pros and cons of each tool is, and when and how to apply them. And it's much less about, you know, the hardcore engineering or, you know, the geo is just data cleaning and then using that data in the right tool to, to produce an outcome. Yes, but I At think, least that's how I see it. I think there's a, when we convey information, whether it be in a chart, in a, a map, in some other kind of infographic, what we're trying to do is 
distill complex information, large volumes of data down into some simple graphical representations, which is, allows us to explain something to the audience. Would you agree with that roughly? Yes, I would say so. Right. So what we want to avoid is conveying the wrong information. You know, so using you know, an unnormalized map, for example, will convey a misleading sure. visual impression. You can, and I think... You can easily mislead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's not just about tools. It's also about having an understanding about the data that you're working with and having an understanding about how you can convey information from that data effectively. And I think when your end goal just becomes putting dots or shading a, a map, putting dots on a map or shading a map, and if all you're trying to do is achieve is to get your data onto the map, then you are going to fail pretty frequently in actually conveying information. And you probably need to understand the data that you're mapping before you start mapping it. And I think that's a big problem, that people don't understand what they're doing. You know, if you asked an epidemiologist, if, you, if your wife was mapping this, this data, I'm sure she'd have a different approach to it to a journalist at the BBC. Yeah, I'm not sure my wife would be the best uh, mapper there. No, but <laughs> we, she might be so the best kind person. Of long running joke in our family how badly she reads okay. the map. But, um, <laughs> oh, let's not go into the. Uh, the but, uh, but I do take your point. Yeah. Yes, I do yeah. take your point. Oh, well, this is also what makes it hard is like exactly, you know, you need someone who has the expertise to understand the data, then you need someone who has the expertise to how to represent the data. Then probably if. if to really get your message out, you need someone who needs, understands how to market it, uh, you know, or, or, or distribute mm -hmm. it. So it gets harder and harder, and uh, all those different pieces need to come together. And if you're to create a successful, and if you're working in media deadlines, where you've got to do that, maybe several times a day, you've got to be updating this stuff. That's very challenging. Agree. Agree. I mean, so I guess what's our takeaway from all this beyond that everyone should obviously read Ken's article because I think it's quite useful and thought provoking. Yeah. And it's simple. You know, it's not like it's a it's a five, 10 minute read. And uh, if you're making maps of the coronavirus or anything else, you know, frankly, read this article because it's a really good basic primer in making thematic maps. My takeaway is that we probably shouldn't be mapping this data. We should be using charts and tables and things that allow us to get a little bit more understanding of the data than the maps that we're seeing are providing. My second takeaway is I've never liked cartograms and the flurry of them that I've seen recently <laughs> hasn't changed that. What about you? Well, I, so first of all, I agree. Probably a map is not that helpful in, in an uncertain situation like the spread of the virus seeking to seeking certainty via via a map is probably not the best thing to do instead i i encourage everyone to follow all basic uh, safety and health precautions and um, and i guess we'll leave it at that I, I do want to end things on a slightly positive note i did see one funny thing going around on twitter and that was are you familiar with this site where they um they have maps that leave out new zealand oh yes yeah have you yeah. seen that okay so so um you know very frequently people will create a world map 
you know, kind of centered on Europe and Africa. And as a result, New Zealand, which would be, you know, far off on the right, uh, gets cut off. And so this guy collects maps that don't have New Zealand. And going around on Twitter, there was a map, you know, showing the spread of the coronavirus and you had the bright red dots and everything. And and someone commented, this is fantastic. We can't get sick if we're not on the map because the, he had left off New Zealand. Um, so, Well, that's a good good note to finish on, I think. Exactly. So to all of our listeners, you know, do your best to stay healthy. And we'll see how things go with regards to GeoMob in a couple of weeks. I'm hopeful we can, we can still go forward. And uh, yeah, please map responsibly. Okay. Take care, Ed. You as well, Stephen. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.